0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Wonderful. I hear wonderfuls. That's good. That's good. Sometimes we say wonderful, and it's not so wonderful, though, right? You ever have that happen? Anybody here say wonderful, and this week's not been exactly wonderful? We can be honest here. We're body of Christ. We're, we're the church. We're the church. This week, hit home pretty hard for a couple of us uh, because uh, specifically two pastors within new hampshire passed away from covid this week they were both in the hospital down from down in concord one from the berlin area and then one from around i think the concord area woodsville. woods woodsville he's woodsville oh my yeah. goodness okay uh, so both here north country i knew one didn't know the other but uh, that hit home uh, pretty hard. And there are other things going on in this world that just kind of keep punching us in the gut, it seems like. Even if they seem far away, if you watch the news, you watch what's going on, it just seems like one punch after another. Now there's talk of all this inflation and cargo ships being stuck out at sea and all this stuff that's going on. The COVID is still here. It's still happening. Uh, We still are uh, in the midst of losing people. We have a friend of Faith Bible Church. They don't attend here, but they're from this area, and the husband is down in Dartmouth, last I knew. um, uh, Serious condition. I mean, it just keeps kind of coming and coming and coming. Uh, And sometimes the, the weight of the world just gets us down, and we don't know what to do with that. And I think that's okay to actually say, We don't know what to do with this. Can we just be honest and we don't know what to do? We pray to the Lord, we cry out to the Lord, we seek the Lord and His guidance and His wisdom, but we continue to see that we live in a fallen world, suffering with fallen problems, and though we are part of a new kingdom, we have our feet planted here. We have our feet planted here. And so, like we've been saying over the last couple years, and as we've been getting into the study in Luke, by the way, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verse 25 today, that we take kingdom steps. If we are part of God's kingdom, if we are children of God, the steps that we take, the actions that we, we do with our hands, the words that we speak, the things that we take in and, and then uh, share, those should be kingdom things, even though we're walking in this fallen world. The nation of Israel at this time in this and as we look at chapter two of of the gospel of luke the nation of israel was suffering they were suffering the weight of the world a a, an empire that was controlling them they didn't have the freedoms that they wanted and more and more freedoms seemed to be slipping away from them as the roman empire kind of started to get a really good grip on them and and started to press harder and harder and harder and wanted more and more control. And here we are with the, the series, the theme of the series is we want to find Jesus in the midst of all this. And in the midst of all the struggles and everything that's going on right now in our world, in our time, 2,000 years after these events, we continue to want to find Jesus in the midst of all of this. He's walked through the same kind of pains, the same kind of sufferings, the same kind of cultural stuff, uh, right? The, the Old Testament, uh, Solomon says, hey, there's nothing new under the sun. And we find that this is truer and truer as we get older and, and ha- live some years. Oh, yeah, this just keeps kind of coming around and around and around. Well, see, here we have a nation that's struggling. We're going to talk about that today. This nation that's struggling and what Jesus is going to mean here. But Luke continues to paint a, a, a picture of a, a big story, and he continues to add brushstrokes to this story. Uh, I, love, I love a painting that has brushstroke upon brushstroke upon brushstroke and layer upon layer of paint and, uh, and story behind it. And this is what Luke is doing as he's building his story, building a great big story in his gospel. And all the way, uh, we're in chapter 2, He's already presented so many intriguing characters, so many intriguing stories, uh, experiences, expectations, hopes, all of that, and he he wants us to dive deeper into this story with him. I'll encourage us, this is a great opportunity for those of us who, who know people, and I'm assuming that's every single one of us in this room, who knows someone who does not know this story. There are some seats here. We can invite them in i'm hoping this is a continues to be a safe place to uh to explore this story of jesus as we go deeper in our relationship with him but then introduce some things that our friends and neighbors need to hear as well so big things are happening they continue to happen and, and luke is setting us up asking us to ask the question hey what's next what's next what's coming up next well, as we, before we actually get into the message, how about we do what we do every week, and we stand together and read the passage of Scripture. It's going to be Luke two twenty five through 38, and uh, let's read this together aloud. Ready? There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him it had been revealed to him by the sweet spirit that he would not see death before they saw the lord's messiah guided by the spirit he entered the temple when the parents brought in the child jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law simeon took him up in his arms praised god and said now master You can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them And told his mother mary indeed this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed there was also a prophetess anna a daughter of Phaniel, of the tribe of asher she was well along in years having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years she did not leave the temple serving god night and day with fasting and prayers at that very moment she came up and began to thank god and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. All right, so there we go. There's the passage. If you have your Bible, you can turn to it, please, or phone. If you look at your phone, or there are Bibles in the seat pockets in front of you, I encourage you to grab one of those and follow along. Big things are happening. Luke gives us, I think, more details. Uh, about Jesus's younger life than anywhere else that we see in the Gospels, and he continues on this. It's it's as he's saying this this birth, this new baby. This is not a normal birth. You know, normal things are not going to be happening in the life of this child. And as he grows, he starts outlaying Jesus's purpose and, and plan and and work. And we're going to see that in in Simeon's song. Uh, our response to this birth isn't to be a normal response. When we see a new baby who's born, what do we immediately do? Oh my goodness, it's so exciting, and you know, we love it, and we've had four ourselves, and taken a couple kids uh, who are in need in the community, and, and uh, babies are just the best thing in the world, right? Right, and we, we ooh, and we ah, and we do all that. Luke's saying, oh yeah, babies are great, but this is not a normal birth, and our response to this baby shouldn't be a normal response. There's something more here, and he continues to build the layers of this story. Uh, Things are are just getting going, and so we need to keep our eyes open for what the rest of the story holds for us. Spoil alert, we're going to see this is the Savior for the whole world. This is good news. Every single one of us in here all right, this is this does not just stay within a little community, within a little nation, within a little group of people. And this is kind of what the expectations were for the nation of Israel. They had kind of gotten in the mode of, okay, you know what? We're not happy, we're we're being oppressed, these are our problems, this is what's going on in the world, and God just come save us. Come rescue us. And through the gospels, we continue to see that this is a much bigger rescue plan than just one little people group, though they were very, very important, very, very important, critical to this story, blessed because of their position. God had bigger plans, and Luke reminds us of this. I love this story. We've seen, like I mentioned, we've seen a lot of characters come already in these first couple of chapters as we've been going through this, and uh, here we see today a couple of more very important characters. And again, as a reminder, what Luke does here. I love this. Luke is more than likely a Gentile who is writing this, so he may have a a bigger world view uh, just as he's writing this story, and and he includes a lot of great stories, And, and one of the things that he goes back and forth does is everybody has an opportunity to serve and impact in this kingdom doesn't matter your status, doesn't matter who, where you come from, it doesn't matter your background, your pedigree, your privilege, doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. He reminds us again here as he's telling the story as Jesus is going into the temple. We have this simon who's a righteous man and Anna who's a prophetess. He goes back and forth with these stories showing us that everybody has a chance to share about God's grace and glory and what he's doing in this world, there's a chance for all of us to be a part of this kingdom in a powerful, mighty way. Even if we don't have status or position, how we walk each and every day, how we talk each and every day, how we do our work each and every day, how we interact with our friends and our family each and every day, again, is kingdom work kingdom work because we've been redeemed by the savior that we continue to look at in this gospel well i want to say that make a bold statement here and i think it's true people who are looking for jesus will find him i think that's true i think that god has revealed himself adequately I think the Holy Spirit is still working in this world. People who are looking for a Savior or the solution to the problems of this world will find Jesus. Now, I had to put this challenge out here that, well, oftentimes that means you and I must do some work to make His name n- known and to preach the gospel out in the streets into to our friends and family. But like anything else, what we look for we will usually find, right? You, you look for opportunity, you probably will find opportunity. If you look for scarcity, you're probably going to see scarcity. If you're a glass half full or half, you know, empty kind of person, that's what you usually will find if that's what you're looking for. If you're looking for an enemy, if we're looking for an enemy, we will find an enemy. Even if we have to make them up, we will find an enemy. If you're looking to be offended, you will be offended, even if you have to make that up. All right, what we look for is usually what we find. I think that when we those who are looking for Jesus, looking for hope in this world, will find him. Deuteronomy 4:29 says, "But from there you will search for the Lord your God, and you will find him when you seek him with all your heart and all your soul." Jeremiah 29 says this, "You will seek me and find me. When you search for me with all your heart, well, here within this first couple of chapters of this gospel, of this book, we see a list of people who are seeking and seem to be uh, attuned to what God is doing, where God is moving, either through revelation from God, we see from the angels, we see Zechariah, we see Mary, we see their responses. Though Zechariah had some doubts, immediately when his mouth was open, what did he start doing? praising the Lord, acknowledging the Lord, prophesying about His son John the Baptist and Jesus and what was going to happen uh, to their community. We see Elizabeth praising the Lord. And when she finds out the news that, that she's going to be expecting, and when she sees Mary come up the steps that praising the Lord, they're attuned to what God is doing. We see Joseph. We see a Joseph. It says he's, we looked at Mary and Joseph la- last week. Joseph, a righteous man, is going to be the earthly father of Jesus. And he kind of took some missteps, doing kind of a worldly thing to make things right. And then the angel came to him and and he got turned around and said, Oh, this is what God's doing. And dove in and I'm going to be a part of this. I'm going to be a part of this. And here we see Simeon and Anna who are attuned to what God is doing. Specifically, Simeon, we see him. He's like, Man, God told me I'm not going to die an old man, I'm not going to die until I see the Messiah. Jumping ahead of the story, who do we see that is not in tune to what God is doing? A lot of the religious leaders, a lot of those people who spent the time studying and looking and uh, talking about and plotting about the redemption of Israel, trying to push things forward, trying to get the people to do the right thing so that they thought, oh, you you guys just do the right thing, then God will come back. God will come back. But they are totally missing it. Not everyone, not everyone within those camps missed it, right? We see stories of people who actually come out of those camps and and get it right. Uh, We see the Roman Empire. They're going to totally miss it as well, they're, they're concerned with their power and, and losing it and keeping control and having everything in order and, and making their roads and connecting their empire and, and doing all of this stuff, keeping the status quo going, making their God, Caesar, happy. But we see a group of people within this first couple of chapters who are uh, attuned to what God is doing and he's revealing himself. He continues to reveal himself. People who are seeking Jesus will find him. But again, what do we need to do? What is God calling us to do to, to help open the eyes, open the ears, give a word of testimony and a story about who Christ is? is. And so here we go with this big, big story building the narrative. This is not an ordinary birth. This is not an ordinary person. This is uh, There are holy announcements going around. There are surprises. There are doubts. There are prophecies being fulfilled right here in the first couple of chapters. Uh, John the Baptist along with Jesus. This is a big, big deal. Now, for the nation of Israel, what do you think the biggest event may have been For them or what they were anticipating would be a big big event kind of a, a culmination that yes we are god's people god is on our side they were looking for something specific they were looking for god to come back to the temple they were looking for god to come back to the temple as a sign of his power and authority and direction as you know, the, the pillar, the flame was sitting, you know, over that space saying, Look at our God. Look at our God. We are his people. This this was this was the big thing that they were looking for, hoping for, praying for. And here we see in this chapter, God comes back to his temple. God comes back to his temple. This is what I want to talk about today. We could talk about, I've heard many, many stories about Simeon and Anna, and and how they were old and faithful, and they kept on serving, even uncertainty, and I've heard lots of messages about that, so we'll leave those, and you can go look those up online, but I want to talk about God coming back to His temple today. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. God has continually desired to make a way or have a way to be with His people what do you know about the temple? Do some interaction here. What do, you, what do we know about the temple? Built by Solomon, the original one, yes. The original one built by Solomon. Who, who wanted to build it? David. David couldn't build it. Why couldn't David build it? Bloody hands. Specifically, he was a man of, of war, and so uh, God was going to give the honor to his son Solomon to build the temple um actually um so david was going to commission it solomon was going to build it finished around 957 or so bc um david chose mount moriah anybody know what mount moriah was yep abraham was going to attempt to sacrifice isaac on the mountain and then god comes in with the sacrifice to take isaac's place so david chose mount moriah where Abraham was going to offer up that sacrifice, his only son, um, uh, to to God, his his heir to God, uh, at the dedication, I, I looked and it said that Solomon offered himself. He, Solomon brought these. He, he didn't he didn't bring them all in himself, but this is what he commissioned uh, to have one hundred forty four thousand animals sacrificed at the dedication of the temple. That's a lot of sheep and oxen and pigeons and doves and all of those things. That's a big deal. The people also brought animals to that, uh, to that dedication. And so in total, they say there was probably about 250,000 animals sacrificed at the dedication of the temple. God's presence came down on the temple. Now, there's a lot of temple language Within the scriptures, we see the temple and the the actual physical temple was built. Before that, we had the tabernacle, right? That was the the wandering domain of God, all right? Uh, That's the place where in the desert, God told them, this is what you build. This is what it looks like. It's going to be a a tent kind of structure. It's going to be a tabernacle. It's going to be a place for him to be with his people. There's a pillar of smoke and fire that would indicate that God was with them. It would move, and then they would get up, pack everything up, and they would move along with it. But God was with his people people. Now, David wanted to give him a permanent home among his people, and so therefore, that's why he wanted to build the temple. But you got the tabernacle. We see uh, um, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We see this kind of, if you're an ancient uh, eastern person, you see temple language, because what is the temple, basically? It's where God resides with his people. It was called the footstool uh, for God. But literally, this is where he planted his feet with his people in a very physical way. And this is what we have in the Garden of Eden. Eden, right? It says that God was walking in the garden with who? His creation. We see that the, uh, the, um, the ornaments and the fixtures and the curtains and everything had symbolism within the temple and the tabernacle that, that went back to the Garden of Eden, trees and things like that, that that uh, went back to remind them about this is what we had with God. This is what we're supposed to have with God. Adam and Eve enjoyed uninterrupted fellowship with God. There was nothing that was getting in the way of their fellowship with God until sin happened. But God continually desires to make a way or to be with His people, and so you have garden of eden you have him showing up on mount sinai with moses and giving the law you have the the commission of the tabernacle god's mobile dwelling place Um, uh, god's going to dwell with them that way you have the temple being built but god's spirit abandons the temple at some point in time why sin and disobedience the nation his people turned away from him And they went into an exile. Um, They went into an exile about 597 BC, and the temple was basically destroyed. Ezekiel writes within his book, writes about a new temple. And he uses language that, that speaks of this new temple with streams of living water that, that flow and cleanse the earth. You, you remember this story where just trickles are coming out and they get bigger and bigger as they get away. And it's like the streams uh, this water is covering the whole earth, cleansing the whole earth, coming out of this, this new temple. John, the Apostle John in his gospel in John 7 is going to use language about Christ and his ministry, using language that comes from Ezekiel, being cleansing water, flowing, flowing. Well, they were able to go back and build this second temple, um, which was around 515 B.C. Persia allowed the Jews to return back to Jerusalem to build their temple, but it was a little thing compared to the the glory and splendor that Solomon had had built. Uh, You know, and God's presence never came to that temple in the way that it had the first time. Herod the Great, because he was kind of a guy that wanted uh, uh, popularity and prestige and to kind of puff up um his, his himself and uh to really uh, do some things that would cement his rule over the people he initiated a building project to expand that temple it started around 20 bc it uh, would have been still going on as jesus was alive but this temple the second temple would have been destroyed in 70 a.d and jesus would prophesy with that but at this time The nation of Israel was praying, was praying and trying to do all that they could to to get God's presence basically back in the temple, to see His glory, to see His power. If that would happen, then that would be a sign to them that they could cast off the rulers of this world. They could cast off the Roman Empire. They could be free. Just this itty-bitty little nation could, could, could cast off by the might of God. By the power of God, everything that was going wrong, all their sorrows, all, all, everything that was you know, going wrong in their nation would be cast off. Here we see God entering his temple, but not in the way they expected, right? This is not the way that they expected. Jesus, the word that was from the beginning, Apostle John's description, God in the flesh, enters the temple again. Has to be carried into the temple as a little bitty baby. And he's not here to establish, to reestablish as the, the practices of old or, or actually to even abide by those man-made traditions that they were trying their hardest to, Push through, said, maybe this will please God, maybe this will get us there, maybe this will change our set of circumstances, maybe if we do more rules and stuff and pay more attention to this, then then God's glory will, will come back and will be made whole again. He's coming to start something brand new, a kingdom that will be for all of the people, and there are two people who are ready to meet Him, and we see their stories here. We see Anna the prophetess and Simeon the righteous man, Simeon it says he was an old man. This is in 25. This is what we read. He was an old man. He was righteous and devout. He was looking forward to Israel's consolation, looking forward to when God would comfort his people again, would bring comfort to his people again. I think Simeon. It was his practice to, to be at the temple, to be in this place. It says he was, the spirit was on him. He was attuned to what God was doing. I, I think, I feel that the Simeon was, was feeling the pain of his people, feeling the pain that they were living and holding on to the promise that, okay, God, when, when? And you'd see, he'd probably see someone who was entering the temple. God, you give, you've, you've, you've given me this promise. I'm going to see the Messiah. That man over there? That person over there, that teacher over there, and nope, 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 nope. And then one day, a little bitty baby, about a month old, makes his way into the temple. And prompted by the Holy Spirit, he goes to the temple, and he sees the Lord's Messiah. It's amazing. He he took. It must be a different culture. He took the baby up in his arms. I don't know what Mary and Joseph were thinking, you know, have this strange man come and take the baby up in their arms, uh, in his arms. Uh, but then he prophesies over Jesus. We'll look at that in just a minute. But I think Simeon's feeling the pain of his people. He's praying. This is probably his prayer point. This is probably his mission in ministry. And he's looking forward to the one. He knows. He knows the promise that God has given him, that he would see the Messiah before he dies. Here we see Anna as well, Anna the prophetess. Luke's reminding us again that every person, everybody has a place in the work and the calling that, that God is doing here in this world, and, and she's a prophetess serving in the temple. She is herself an, an old woman. says in the text that she was married uh, for seven years, and then she was widowed, and then for 84 years, after her husband had died, for 84 years, she was basically living at the temple, ministering, serving God in whatever capacity she could She could do it. It says in, in fasting and prayer, she was ministering, prophetess. She's probably also giving some words to people. But imagine this. Imagine Mary, the story of Mary. We often hear that Mary, oh, she's probably about 14 years old, 15 years old when she gets engaged to, to Joseph. That's what happened in that culture. So you imagine Anna, who's around 14 or, or, or 15, and, and she gets engaged, and then she gets married to her husband, and seven years later, he passes away. What does this put her at? Say, Let's say 15 years and seven years plus that is what? She's 22. I'm not good at math, so you guys have to help me out here. It's about 22 or so that when her husband dies, and she doesn't get remarried and add 22 to 84. And what does that put us at? 106. She could have been around 106. Someone in our Thursday service pointed out the fact that Anna would have seen both of these people, but Anna, you look at her age, would have seen a lot. She would have seen the beginning of occupation by the Romans and what that meant. She would have seen the small temple and Herod's building of this new, the new additions on to the temple. She would have experienced a lot in her life, and here we see her serving faithfully day after day, fasting and praying as she is working in the temple. And both of these people, both of these individuals have a response when they find the Messiah. Again, people who are looking for Jesus are going to find him. And these two people were looking for the Messiah, and they surely do find him. Simeon breaks out in a song of praise, speaking about Jesus' purpose and, and his life. Now, Master, he says to God, Now, Master, God, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel glory for israel this is not the kind of glory this little bitty baby that israel was expecting they were expecting in the temple the glory of god the weight the majesty the power the smoke the fire coming down upon this temple showing them and the world around them that they were god's people they say that jesus and his work is going to be glory for Israel. Why? Why is this glory for Israel? Well, they'd been promised that salvation was going to come out of them. Salvation not only for themselves, but for the rest of the world. That's pretty glorious. They're going to be honored. God is going to honor them. Their name is going to be to to have glory. Is your name is renowned and and honored? This is glory. This is a glorious moment for the nation of Israel because the prophecy, the promises that have gone all the way back to the beginning, Eden and Abraham and throughout the whole line, they're going to be fulfilled in this little baby Jesus and bring glory and honor to their nation, to this itty-bitty little nation, the smallest of of all nations in this empire. He's also going to bring salvation not only for Israel, but for the world, a a light for revelation to the Gentiles. All of us in this room have seen this light, have a chance to experience this light, have our eyes open to this light, because God decided not to keep his glory and his promises to just a small group of people. He could have done that. He said, Israel, you're going to be the ones who are going to be blessed, I'm gonna keep the blessing here i'm going to show my might just here you're going to be the ones to reap the reward you're going to be the ones to do this they they certainly have a chance to to do and have glory uh, as god's people but god says no this this light is going to reveal the need for salvation to the gentiles and that's i don't know where all of us are if we have any jewish folks in our background in here but I would assume that most of us in this room fall into this category of those outside of this circle that needed God's grace and the light to be shown upon them. And Simeon says, here it is, here it is, the light, the light of the world has revealed himself to us. Jesus is going to reveal the hearts of those around him. Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, indeed this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and around the world and to be a sign that will be opposed. The gospel of Jesus Christ always divides. The gospel of Jesus Christ is available to everyone. The good news of salvation is available to everyone, but the gospel of Jesus Christ always divides. Rise and fall. Those who who seek to walk in the direction and follow our Lord, Savior, Jesus, to rise. Those who uh, see see the need to walk the other way and, and take their own path. The gospel always divides. And there will be a sign that will be, Jesus will be a sign that will be opposed to many opposed to many. We see this in the example of many of the religious leaders and the people in power of that day. And he goes on to say, a sword will pierce your own soul, verse 35. Mary, he's talking to Mary, that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. As Jesus is doing this, as hearts are revealed, Jesus is going to be pierced by nails and a spear, and it's going to affect his own family as well. And you imagine being a mom and and, and seeing your son on the cross and what that does to you and for you. Maybe makes you question a little bit. I, it, later on in the story, as Jesus starts teaching and doing some amazing things, we see that his family actually seeks to put him away. Wait, this is getting a little out of hand. This is a little crazy. We need to reel him in a little bit. Let's take him, sideline him a little bit, see if we can get this under control, and then maybe we'll we'll see what happens. But we're going to see that his family ultimately ultimately sees him as their Lord and Savior. Tradition says that Mary was with the apostles after he rose and ascended to heaven, ministering. We see Jesus' two brothers who were doubters, penning letters to the churches, James and Jude, Jesus' own, own brothers, after he, he rose from the grave. And this is the message that Simeon has for his family and for those around him. Anna. That was Simeon's response. Anna has a response of her own. It's just, just a little, little footnote here, but it's so important. In Luke 2.38, says, at that very moment, so she's there at that very moment when she sees him, she's encountering him, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. What did she do? She started sharing the gospel, sharing the good news to everyone who was around her she's she meets jesus and she starts proclaiming the good news of the gospel and that's her response simeon lays out the purpose plan and what's going to happen in jesus's life to him and his family as well to the nation to the world and anna here says man we're gonna we got to start spreading the news it's time to start spreading the news And God steps into our world in the most unexpected way, in the expected place, if you're in the nation of Israel, in the expected place, but in the most unexpected way. God's people were wrapped up in the idea that He would come in strength and power and literally topple the world governments around them. Swords, spears, chariots, this is what we're hoping for, and the nations are going to crumble as now we see God's comfort. He brings us back as His people. But God enters the temple again, not as the most powerful, but as the most vulnerable of all. What's more vulnerable than a little newborn baby who has to be cared for and loved and and cherished and, and brought everywhere he needs to go? God enters the temple in that vulnerable Way. God reveals Himself to, to, to those who are suffering. An old man who daily is making his way to the temple, looking for comfort for his people, suffering in that. The people around him are suffering. He's feeling the weight of that and he's ministering to them. And, an old woman who is a widowed woman who's uh, had great suffering and loss herself, but is faithfully serving. In the temple, God steps into their suffering and shows them his glory. Shows them his glory. And he writes as this about what Luke is saying. So this is what happens when the kingdom of God confronts the kingdom of the world. Again, Luke invites us to watch throughout the story as the prophecies come true. Mary will look on in dismay as her son is rejected by the very city to which he has offered the way of peace, by the very people he had come to rescue. Finally, the child who is, as Simeon says, placed here to make many in Israel fall and rise again, himself will pass through death into resurrection, taking with him the hopes and fears of the city, the nation, and the world." Even in suffering, God is revealing that this Savior is going to bring a kingdom that is for the whole world, a new way of living life. Jesus is not going to look like he's blessed with strength and power from the Almighty God. This ragtag group of disciples is not an army. Jesus is not commissioning or building an army, not anything that would topple the governments of this world. But as we see, Jesus is blessed with that strength and power and will be toppling the powers behind the scenes, the things that are driving this world, the powers that seek to destroy God's beautiful work. And he will topple them. He will take their rule to its end and so, as we are closing the first couple of chapters of Luke, we see God's glory and power revealed in the unexpected way. We also see so many characters right off the bat that we can relate to. Luke is, Luke is spelling this out and says, there, "There's someone for all of us to relate to in this story, right? You've got an older couple who, who's, uh, uh, you know, ex- experienced." Um, Uncertainty and, and doubts in their life, not being able to have a child, and all of a sudden they experience a surprise in life and are blessed by the Lord. We see a religious man. we see a religious man who still has doubts about God's plan. Zachariah still has doubts about God's plan. We see a young girl who may have questions about life and what's going on. And what this means for her, this, this extra burden that she's going to have to carry. What does this mean? We see a, a soon-to-be husband who desires to do the right thing, but he does it in the, the worldly way until God encounters him with the angel. We see an old man who has lived on a long, long time by holding on to an unlikely promise. I don't know what other people were telling Simeon, you know, hey, God told me I was going to see the Messiah. I don't know, was there excitement around that? It was like, crazy old Simeon, there he goes again, crazy old Simeon, going to the temple, all that kind of stuff. We see an old woman who has known too much loss, but still presses on in faithful service to the Lord. And Luke is drawing all of us into this story as it's just getting going. But as he's painting layer upon layer of God's glory in plan and purpose that is going to come through Jesus Christ. He's begging us to ask the question where is this story going? Where is this story going? A deeper question yet is as we see these characters who are playing a role within this story, a deeper question for all of us is what role does God have for me to play in this? If I'm sitting in doubts or questions or suffering or joy, Whatever it may be, what, what role does God have for me to play in this story? People who are seeking Jesus will find Him. But the reminder for us today as we sit in this room but oftentimes that has to be us. God has called us to go out there and to proclaim the good news, to be like an Anna and we meet Jesus and man, that's the first thing out of our mouths is, have you seen this Jesus. Have you seen the Savior of the world? Do you recognize what he's going to do as Simeon recognizes what is going to happen in his life and what's going to happen in his mission, his plan, his purpose? Are we telling people about that? We all have a plan. We all have a purpose and a plan for us in God's kingdom. And God continues to work in his temple. This one's going to be destroyed. Why? Because this is no longer needed. Why? Where is the temple? We are the temple. All of us sitting in this room are the temple of God, and we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit to press on, to keep on moving, and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we again, we we can only come and we can thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, saving us from our sins, for opening a door for us into your kingdom, for inviting us into your family, all of that, all of that is wrapped up in the work of Jesus Christ, and we thank you, we praise you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. May we be faithful to, again, walk out these doors, proclaiming your name, sharing this good news, just like Anna and Simeon, sharing this good news with all who are around us. This is what you've asked us to do, and it's not much for us because you've taken care of <laughs> you've taken care of sin you've taken care of death you've, you've you've solved that problem you've removed that problem from our lives and so now we have an opportunity to give as you've given everything to us we have an opportunity to give everything back to you we come and that's our desire and our hope and our goal today come in jesus name amen